so glad you could join us for the mornings at YCVC today. We want to thank you for being a part of our online family and we hope that this message encourages you, blesses you and helps you grow in your walk with Him. So let's get into the Word. Uh, this morning, as we head to God's Word this morning, we're going to be wrapping up our Get Real series. Uh, and so we've been journeying through the book of James, uh, his letter to the churches and, and his call for us, for people of faith, to get real. Um, and so this morning we're, we're going to explore James' final thoughts that he shares with the church. Uh, he talks about living a life of justice, patience and prayer. And as we think about this passage this morning, uh, we're, we're looking forward uh, to Easter, the Easter weekend next week. And so today is actually Palm Sunday. Uh, today is the day uh, that in, in the life of Jesus, uh, the week before his crucifixion, he was welcomed into uh, Jerusalem as a king. Uh, he was celebrated as one who they felt was going to sit on an earthly throne. And so in a week's time, Jesus turned on uh, the people's heads, turned, on, uh, history, turned history on its head what it meant to be a true king, what it meant to be a true saviour. Instead of sitting on an earthly throne, he sat upon or hung upon a cross. Uh, and so as we think about uh, that shift that happened in a week, uh, we, we think about this morning uh, as, as we finish off this Get Real series, as we finish off James's word to the church, we, we think about how is our life transformed by that event, the events of Jesus' life, his death and his resurrection. And, and so this morning, uh, we want to continue that understanding of getting real about what impact Jesus who, yes, is the king as who is welcomed into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, but who is the one who hung on a cross and rose to new life for us. And so, as I said last week, if, if this is your, if you're joining us for this morning, if you're not uh, used to church, if you're not used to reading the Bible, James is a section of the Bible where, where we would say of James, he's someone who tells it how he is, how it is. He uses strong language and, and, and jarring words to, to call us to get real. And so this morning we're looking at uh, James chapter 5. If, you, if you're online, you can see uh, there's a link in the stream there to, to access the, the Bible notes uh, on version if you're using that. Um, but if you've got an old-fashioned uh, printed Bible like myself this morning, you can find James chapter 5 in there. And so James talks about in this final chapter, justice, patience and prayer. Uh, I'm going to pray for a moment uh, and then we're going to jump into this word. And so, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Scriptures this morning. We thank you for the truth that even though they were written by the inspiration of your Spirit through your people's hands thousands of years ago, they speak so powerfully today. And so, Father, I pray that as we read Scripture, as we talk about it this morning, that you would illuminate, that you would enlighten that truth to our hearts, that it would be real, that we'd be transformed by it. In Jesus' name, Amen. So James begins chapter 5 uh, by calling the church, by calling all people to be just or to, to live justly, to be just in how they live. In the first three verses of, of James chapter 5, he, he says this, Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You've hoarded wealth in the last days. So as I said, James tells it how it is. He, 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 he speaks 
uh, abruptly. He speaks to the wealthy here, and we need to be careful before we uh, jump into thinking, well, I'm not wealthy, I'm not the rich, this, this isn't about me. We, we need to be careful before we give ourselves a pass on this word. It's part of our fallen human nature to, to consider everyone who has more than us to be wealthy, that, that, that we sit perfectly at the balance point of enough but not too much, and that everyone who has more is the wealthy. But the reality is, if, if you're able to watch, participate in the live stream this morning, if you have a device that you can connect with this morning, you are one of the most wealthy people in history. I don't say that to belittle what struggles you may have in life. I don't want to belittle the, the real struggles that, that people have, but, but we need to be careful before we give ourselves a pass on what James has to say here. James is saying to the rich, you may be comfortable you may be living a life of leisure, but what you should actually be doing is grieving, mourning and wailing because this wealth, this, this comfort that you have, James says, is rotten. That, that moths have eaten all the clothes that you've stored up, that, that your gold and silver has corroded. And so James is touching into this point that Jesus shares about himself, that, that if we seek to hoard up wealth and treasure and, and riches for ourselves, it, it, it's pointless. We can't take it with us. And, and if we just store it up for ourselves, it, it actually crumbles and falls apart. Jesus himself told a parable that's often titled the, the, the parable of the rich fool. And it's this story of this man who, who he had land, which, which made him a wealthy man to start off with in, in Jesus' time. He had land, and, and his land produced a bumper harvest. In fact, it produced more than his current barns could store. And so instead of thinking, well, I've got enough for myself and I'm going to share this out to others, what he did was he built bigger barns. He stored up all that he had been blessed with for his own selfishness. And so Jesus said that he was a fool. He said, tonight your life will be lost. And then who, who gets all of that wealth that you've stored up for yourself? What was the point of keeping it all to yourself when it's not going to be something you can use anyway? And so James here in James chapter 5 is tapping into, into that message of Jesus saying there is no point storing up treasure upon treasure upon treasure for ourselves. We can't take it with us. It won't last. It'll corrode. It'll corrupt. But he also says it will testify against us. If, if, if that's our use of wealth, if that's what we do, do with, the, with the possessions that we have, if we just store them up for ourselves, if we seek to live a life of leisure while the world is falling apart, while people are suffering, Jesus says, and James, his brother, says here, that will actually testify against you. What he means by that is he goes on in, in the, the next few verses, in verse 4 to 6, he says, Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. 
And so James is saying that this stored up wealth is actually not something that should bring you comfort. It's a testimony in a legal case, in a sense, against your choices and your actions on earth. He's saying that the way we choose to live our life impacts others and that matters. The impact of my choices, the way I choose to live, what I choose to buy, what I, what I do with my money impacts others and, and James is telling us as followers of Jesus, that matters. The wealthy that James is talking about here uh, in Roman times were likely uh, uh, those who owned vast estates of land but didn't live there. And so the wealthy in Roman culture would, 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 would uh, use their wealth and, and increase their wealth by buying up vast estates of land and then either, either using slave labour or poorly paid peasants to farm that land to produce an abundance for their, themselves, far beyond what they could actually use. And so their comfort and their leisure was at the expense of others. And James says that they kill and they murder, that they're murdering these people. But the point here and the thing we need to grab is it's not that they were there to do it. It was their actions, it was their behavior from, from their palaces far away that led to the death and the suffering and the pain of these people. It wasn't what was in front of them. He was calling them up, calling them out to see the impact of their actions. He says the, the, the unjust actions are crying out to God in heaven. And so this reminds us of the story that we read in the early chapters of Genesis where, where uh, the, the two sons of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, had some conflict and, and we're told that Cain killed Abel. And so God comes to Cain and says, Cain, where is your brother Abel? And, and Cain kind of fobs off the question, he says, am I my brother's keeper? And, and God says, his blood is crying out to me from the ground. What have you done? And so this language from James about our uh, unjust actions, about the unjust actions of the wealthy, it's like the blood of Abel crying up from the ground to God. That Cain's actions couldn't be buried that God hears and sees the injustice. And so that question that, that, that Cain asked of God, am I my brother's keeper, hangs silently in the air. But the answer should be yes. Yes, as God's creation, as, as humanity, we are called to be our brother and sister's keepers whether they're people who live in our own community or whether they live in, in developing nations on the other side of the world, the, the answer is yes. The way we live, the way our actions impact others matters. The kind of clothes we choose to buy, or more importantly, how those clothes were made, matters. The kind of coffee we drink, I believe it matters in terms of quality, but... But what matters more is, were those who harvested it, who processed it, who shipped it, were they paid their due? The, the kind of devices we use and the choices we make about who we buy them from and who, who is being used in some cases to produce them matters. 
And so uh, at the heart of this is that as followers of Jesus, our relationship with wealth should be completely transformed. Uh, Jesus himself said in in Matthew uh, chapter 6, verses 19 to 20, he said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, like James is saying has happened to the rich in his letter, and where thieves and steal, sorry, where thieves break in and steal, but, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so Jesus is saying that, that, that as James is saying as well, our relationship with wealth and possessions should be completely transformed when we enter into relationship with Jesus. And so in his final words uh, to the church in this letter, James is saying, live lives of justice. As followers of Jesus, we must make every effort to ensure that our own wealth is not built upon injustice. As followers of Jesus, we must make every effort to use our own wealth to overturn injustice. And so uh, at the end of this morning's uh, time message and, and, and time of worship, I'll be posting a link in the comments threads um, from our brothers and sisters at Baptist, Baptist World Aid. And they'll be, uh, that's a guide to ethical uh, fashion. They've done all this work and all this research uh, which has, has given us a guide to, to be able to choose the kind of clothes at least that we buy ethically that, that isn't built upon injustice. But the beautiful thing about that is now that's become popular, that tool's been used more and more, is that, that companies are going to them and saying, how can we be more ethical? And so that's just one example of how we can live lives of justice as followers of Jesus. And so look out for that link. And so James says, be just. He also says, be patient. If we read on in verses 7 and 9 of um, James chapter 5, he says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too are, you too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. And so James says, be patient until the Lord's coming. And so this is a reminder for us that, that that's what we're really waiting for. We wait for so many things. Right now we're, we're waiting, uh, teachers are waiting for the school holidays desperately. We're waiting for, well, how long are we going to be in in physical isolation uh, to overcome the coronavirus pandemic. We might be waiting for the end of school to start our careers. We, we might be waiting for a child. We might be waiting for our children to grow up and, and leave home and, and, and looking forward to an empty nest or, or, or waiting until we can see our children who have left home come again. We might be waiting for many, many things, but James reminds us that what we're really waiting for ultimately is for Jesus to return. Because the scripture says that when Jesus returns, he will make all things new. When Jesus returns, there will be no more sickness. Not just no coronavirus, but, but no cancer, no suffering, no pain, no weeping 
it says in Revelation, that, that when Jesus returns, all things should, will be as they should be. And so while we're waiting, what we're really waiting for is Jesus. This season will come to an end. This coronavirus season will come to an end. But there will be more viruses. There will be more sicknesses. There, there will be other suffering in this world. The, the suffering of this world will not come to an end with the end of the coronavirus. It will come to an end at Jesus' return. And so when James says to be patient, he, he, he's encouraging us to be patient for that for Jesus himself to return and make all things new. He says to be patient like a farmer, patiently waiting for rain and for crops. And the thing with the farmers waiting, uh, some of the farmers in our community will be able to affirm this, they're waiting for things that are beyond their control. They can work diligently the land, they can, they can work on the land, they can, they can uh, be, be preparing for the rains, preparing for the harvest, but, but they're waiting for things that are completely beyond their control. They can't make it rain. They can't make the crop grow. And so James encourages us that this is what waiting for Jesus is like. We can be faithful, we can be living lives of justice, in a moment he talks about prayer. We can be living lives of prayer, but, but we can't do anything about the timing. And so what's left to us is to simply wait and be patient. He warns us against grumbling and infighting amongst each other. Don't, don't grumble with one another. Don't fight with one another. And that, that's just a sign of impatience. He goes on to, to give us some great examples of, of patience that we can follow beyond uh, farmers. And, and he says in verse 10 to 12, Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. He says, Above all, my brothers, which can mean, you know, and finally, my brothers and sisters, do not swear or make promises. That means not by heaven or by earth or anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you'll be condemned. And, and, and so James is giving us these examples of what patience looks like. He says, look at the prophets. We consider them blessed. Look at the end of Job's story who, who suffered much, but the end of his story was abundant blessing. And, and so we consider him blessed. But we're looking at that in hindsight. And so it's, it's easy to look back in hindsight and go, yeah, that person ended up blessed. What a blessed life they had. James is encouraging us to see ourselves in the same light. Just as they were blessed in their patience, he's saying we'll be blessed in our patience too. Just as they had fulfillment of what they waited for, we will have fulfillment of Jesus' promises in our life too. We simply need to wait and be patient. It's a bit like when we look at athletes or artists and we see an athlete run really fast and win a medal and we think, wow, I wish I was, I wish I was that fast. Or we see an artist produce something beautiful and we think, oh, if only I was born that talented just like them. But what we don't see is the hours of training for the athlete, how, how patiently they worked and worked and worked to get to that place. What we don't see is the hours of practice that the artist 
do over and over again to, to hone their craft to be finally able to be blessed with such natural skill. Uh, I'm told in the Van Gogh uh, Museum that there's, there's these books of him just drawing the same finger over and over again a thousand times trying to perfect how he drew just a finger. And, and so we look at the end of people's lives and think they're blessed and so James is encouraging us to sit in the moment of patience and realize that is the place of blessing. It's the way in which blessing comes into our own life when we simply wait. And so James says, be patient in waiting for Jesus. If we want to get real about our faith, we need to get real about the reality that that is what we're really waiting for. And that should make us more patient about everything else in our life. Because when, when we're understanding that we're really waiting for Jesus, we understand that things won't fully be how we want them to be or how we hope them to be. Things won't be perfected until Jesus returns. There will be frustration. There will be suffering. There will be times like this until Jesus returns. And so we can chill out, we can relax, we can stay calm knowing the surety of that promise. Jesus will return. James says it's near, which doesn't mean that it's about to happen soon. It, it means that it's imminent. It could be any moment. He's at the door. We simply need to be patient and wait. And so James says in his final words, be just, be patient and finally, he says, be prayerful. In James 5, 13 to 16, he has this to say. He says, if anyone among you is in trouble, let them pray. Is anyone happy, or, or that word could be translated content, fulfilled? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And so James is saying here, if you're in trouble, if you're in, in negative circumstances, then pray. Let that be your plan A when you're in a difficult place in life. But he's saying also when you're, when you're happy, when you're contented, when, when life's in a great place for you, then praise, which is really just a kind of prayer. It's a prayer, a song of thankfulness. He says if someone's sick, then pray. Pray for them, anoint them, confess your sins, seek forgiveness. James is saying pray about everything. Let us be, as followers of Jesus, a people primarily of prayer. And he says prayer isn't just an empty practice. It's not just a, 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 a thought in the air. It's not just uh, meditation or mindfulness, which, which can be helpful things if we're meditating and mindful of Jesus. But, but it's not just that. He's saying prayer actually impacts reality. He says prayer will make the sick person well. Prayer will lift us out of our troubles or give us the grace to endure our troubles. 
Praise will give us the context to celebrate that that happiness, that, that contentedness is of God. In this context, uh, James says, when we're praying for the sick to gather the elders together, uh, to anoint, to, to confess sin. And certainly this is something we should do, but, but I don't want us to, to, to think that that's the only New Testament model of prayer. There, there, there is many models that Jesus himself enacted. Sometimes he spat in the ground and made mud and put it in people's eyes. He sometimes spoke words at, remotely and people were healed. He, he laid hands on people. The idea that James is getting us to here is not that we should embrace this as the one model of prayer for healing though it is a model that we should adopt as, as followers of Jesus. When someone is sick, we should gather the leaders of the church. We should pray for them. We should anoint them with oil, but, but we don't want to get locked into that's, that's the only group of people that can pray. That's the only way you can pray for the sick. He, he talks about forgiveness and confession in the context of prayer here, and, and that's important. The scriptures acknowledge that, that some physical sickness is a consequence of sin. But we need to be careful that we understand rightly because sin can cause sickness, but not all sickness is caused by sin. And not all sin directly leads to sickness. But James rightfully reminds us if, if someone is unwell, then we should seek, Lord, is there anything that I should be confessing here? And of course we can all confess that we are sinful people. But the promise that James gives us isn't that we should go, well, I'm sinful, so I don't deserve healing. He, he says, if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Elsewhere in the scriptures, it says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive. This is, this is bringing ourselves, bringing the person who's sick into a place of healing, not just physically, but spiritually. And so James wants us to pray when we're sad, pray when we're glad, Pray when we're well, pray when we're sick. He wants us to pray, pray, pray. He, he goes on to give us this example of Elijah in, in James five seventeen to 18. He says, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. And that's important because for the people of Israel that, that James, the, the, the early believers that he wrote to were primarily Jewish and Elijah was seen as, a, as an extraordinary man as a great prophet, a man of great power. And so James reminds us that, no, he was an ordinary human being like you and I. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. And, and so he gives Elijah as an example of a normal human being who prayed, and, and amazing things happened. He was just like us. He uses this example to remind us that, that the power of prayer is not in the prayer, but in the one prayed to. So you might be thinking, well, well, I don't pray. I'm not big on prayer. I don't pray much because you know, I can't imagine my prayers impacting reality. And so James wants to remind you, the power of your prayer is not in who you are, Elijah was just an ordinary man. The power of his prayer was in who we prayed to. The power of your prayer 
in every moment, especially in this moment, as the world faces one of the greatest challenges it's seen in, in such a long time, the power of your prayer in this moment isn't about you, it's about who you pray to. The prayers of a righteous person, and we're all made righteous by the blood of Jesus, the prayers of a righteous person are powerful. They are effective. Prayer impacts reality. So we want to get real about our faith. We live lives of justice. We be patient in waiting for the Lord, which gives us patience in all circumstances. And we be people of prayer. We be people who pray, 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 pray in trouble, praise in gladness, pray in sickness. James calls us to get real. As we've said throughout the, this series, that's, that's about having a, a real and authentic faith. It's about having one that exists, that, that's not just imagined, that's, that's not just a pretense, it, it's, it's real. James has called us to put our faith into action, that, that real faith isn't just about words or empty thoughts, it's about action. He's encouraged us to, to tame the tongue, to take control of our words because words have the power of life and death. He's called us to submit ourselves fully to God, placing ourselves under his authority, his love and care. And he's called us to be a people of justice, patience and prayer. And then he ends his letter with this final word. And, and I want to end our time this morning as in God's word as we head into a, another uh, worship song together uh, with these final two verses from James. In, in James chapter 5, verse 19 to 20, he says, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from error, the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. And, and so clearly James here is talking about a believer who wanders off from their faith, but, but I want to encourage us to do that, but I want to take this word and encourage us as we finish this series of Get Real. As we are now the church physically scattered, thankful we can gather online this morning, I want to, I want to take those final verses of James and encourage us to simply look out for one another. Don't allow the enemy to use this season to pull anyone away from their faith in Jesus. Don't allow the enemy to, to use this season as a time where people slip away from the church. Let's look out for one another. Let's move in the opposite spirit of Cain who said, am I my brother's keeper? Should I? Is it my job to look out for him? Let's, let's hear the answer to that in our own hearts. Be yes. It is our job to care for brother and sister in Christ. So let's look out for one another. Thanks for joining us today. As you head back into your week, we want to encourage you to stay in His Word, stay in His love, and stay strong in your faith. Don't forget to keep up to date with what's happening via Facebook, Instagram, or via our website at ycbc.church. See you soon.